This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autopsy. We are the forensic files on your radio dial. My name is Scott and my intrepid partner Rico is out on assignment. He's deep in the audio jungle, mired in those weeds, trying to find his way out. But we're not going to let that hold us back. Have we got a show for you tonight? We've got the phone ringing again. All right, let's pick it up. WRNRA, east of the Rockies. Okay, it's the breather. Hi, breather. What's going on, man? Yeah, um, well, Rico's not here tonight. Okay, uh, he'll be back next week. Yeah, we're not going to do an autopsy tonight. I can't do an autopsy without Rico. He's my partner. Oh, it's a great idea. We'll do a lost episode. Hey, here's a lost episode Rico and I recorded a few months back. I can't even remember what we were talking about. I think it was going to be a favorite albums episode, and I picked Black Sabbath Sabotage, and he picked something else that we ultimately didn't go with. But we'll play the Sabotage portion for you anyway, all right? Enjoy. Okay, what were we going to say? Are we rolling? Yeah, but I just what were we going to say? I can just cut it out if you want to. Well, no, it's fine. No, go ahead. What are you going to say? We'll just pick it up later, man. It's all good. Hey, now. Howdy. This is Scott. This is Rico. Welcome to the podcast. We need your feedback. Get on Apple. Leave a review. Do it now. What are we doing tonight? Um, Recurring series. You have an album that you're super interested in that you tell me about. I have an album that I'm super interested in I tell you about. It's the Rock and Roll Autopsy Favorite Album Edition. You got it. You want to go first? Yes, sir. Let's do it. My selection tonight is Sabotage by Black Sabbath. 1975, July of 1975. I would have been one year old. You were alive when this came out. I was. I remember running out to the store and buying it. I was in my dipe dipe. Your dipe It was diapers. a full load. Is this? Did you ask Santa for Sabotage? No. Because he fucking follows through on some good music for you in the past. He does, but no. I just, I was like, I looked at my mom and I said, listen, bitch, I'm going to the store. I got a full diaper and a bite sabotage. And she was like, she was like, all right, whatever you want to do. She said, all like, right, now. Very nice. I like that. <clears throat> Wrong album. Same band. Same band. So 
this album is a fucking killer record, man. Now, Sabbath, you know, we've got, we're talking eras here with Sabbath. This is in the Ozzy. Many, many eras. Many eras. Holy this, crap. This is in the Ozzy era, the first 10 years of the band. You're talking like 69 to 79 here. Um, then, of course, a little stint with Dio, and then Ian Gillen from Deep Purple, and then Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple, and then Tony Martin, and then back to Dio, then back to Tony Martin, and then Ozzy again, and they've Holy Mackerel. More, they've had more personnel changes than the Cleveland Browns front office. Um So... <laughs> Yes, Romeo Cornell was lead singer for an album or two. It was amazing. But at any rate, I digress. So this album in the Ozzy era, all the Ozzy era albums are killer. I even like the two that no one likes, Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die. The Ozzy era just has some killer shit in it. And it's an interesting era of the band. You hear them kind of progress from this dark blues thing in 69, 70 on the first record into like, you know, the paranoid era. Then they turn into like the super fuzzy stoner era. And then they kind of become cream for an album on volume four. (laughs) And then they start to become like, Proggy on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. I'm talking like their version of Proggy. Anyway. Their version, yeah, of it. yeah. Not like they're not doing Genesis not or, like anything, yes but they're, or anything, like that. no. But it's their version right. of it, you know, kind of a metal, kind of proggy, kind of proto metal proggy kind of thing. Sure. A national acrobat and spiral architect and all in those 75, cool songs. Though a lot of people were venturing into Proggy, so it, was it wasn't really out of the realm for them to do that because no way, was. yeah. And it was kind of the natural evolution of the rock and roll at the time yeah you know, was it as guys were you know technology was getting more and more proficient proficiency on the instrument and you know is becoming more and more common people were pushing themselves and things yep. and yada 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 oh and drugs and so they um, may have contributed it may have contributed but by 75 they put out this record sabotage and there's a whole lot of shit behind it about you know they were having issues with management and money and all that issues too bad bad. issues that's all out there it's a miracle that they made this album as good as it was considering all the shit that was going on behind the scenes dude it's a miracle they made really every record after masters of reality um volume four is a famous coke album that's the one with Snowblind on it where ozzy is basically just singing about cocaine they're in california just doing mountains of blow these guys i read it i read uh they they had a show that they were gonna do that they had to reschedule the show because he said that Ozzy said they were just up for days doing coke and none of them could even do the show, so they had to reschedule. Yeah, this was a this was a drug band, but they had the Coke era, the Volume Four Big Coke album. If you love your cocaine albums, some volume people four. some people really like heroin records. Go listen to Exile on Main Street. You want a good cocaine record? Go listen to Volume Four. Volume Four is um, is your is your friend for coke. But if you want a great pissed off at management record 
Boy, this is the Listen one. Listen to Sabotage. So this record kicks off with a killer Sabbath track, Hole in the Sky. This song, incidentally, when Sabbath was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Metallica did their induction and performed, and Hole in the Sky was a song that Metallica played, a yeah. very bitchin' rendition of the song. Then it segues into this, this uh, Tony Iommi acoustic noodling kind of thing. Which uh, I really like. I love that. Yeah. The acoustic thing is... I didn't, to be honest with you, I don't have, you know, big red truck, Captain Obvious stuff here, but I don't have the breadth and depth of Sabbath knowledge that you do. And so, I mean, I've heard, you know, Sabbath and some of the stuff that he's done over the years, but... I didn't know that he had that in him until I heard that. Yeah, he's got, like, in the Sabbath catalog, there's a lot of little acoustic pieces that he's got kind of peppered in. And he's got that. That shows up on Master Reality. He's got that on the first record. It's kind of just something that he does. He's actually a really killer, like, acoustic player. And you hear it on Planet Caravan. Didn't he... uh cut the tip of his finger off working yeah he lost uh he lost his fingertips in a factory accident actually just before they were going to record their first um record these were birmingham boys man these yeah. guys grew up working, in working class poor gross you know uh, uh not like know, those guys blue from, collar town yeah, not and, like and, those guys from liverpool who right had it a little bit better <laughs> yeah these were these were you know blue collar kids who all had to work and he worked in a factory and he lost his fingertips and so in what's the factory. that what's that shit that he put on his he, he, like, rubber tips. Or he something? attempted to. He did. A, he attempted a number of different things, but basically, at his fingertips, it's just bone. So it was very, yeah. very painful to press on the strings. Yeah. So he remedied this by doing a couple things, which really created heavy metal. Was one. If the strings are hard to move under the guitar, one thing you can do, obviously, is reduce the tension on them by detuning. So he detuned his guitar to make the strings floppier and easier, easier to push to deal on. With, right? But it also does what? Makes the music heavier. Heavier and darker. And Yep. So he's got detuned guitar because of absence of fingertips. He plays a lighter string gauge. A lot of guitar players play heavier strings. He's playing like eights. So he's got eights that wow, are like... Wow, he played eights? That, I mean, it makes that sense. That are detuned because wow. he's missing his fingers. Well, wow, how the hell and do you play eights detuned? They has to be flapping, dude. Jesus. And then he's got like... And then he's got like How is that um, even pushing wind to even make a vibration? <laughs> and then he's got... But he's got monster tones, so he's doing yeah, something right. Sure. And then on his fingers, he took like these pieces that he tried different material he tried leather and then ultimately i think he settled on he just took a candle and like some plastic and kind of melted it and made like little plastic tips that he puts on his fingertips and so he just he just kind of affixed those on there so he is i don't know how you can play the guitar without actually being able to to know what you're pushing on yeah how does he know what he's pushing on that's the crazy part about he's just learned how to do it without the sense of touch which i don't know how you do it because the guitar is an instrument where you have to be able to kind of touch it to interact with it to make the music happen but he's learned to do it so i mean so yeah he lost his fingertips before i knew about that like I've you know seen footage of him with the fingertips, and I always wondered what the hell that was. And then I found out, and I'm like, wow, that's really impressive that he could play to that level, and and not be able to feel the string. And he thought that his career was over, but well, he um, I clearly, I mean, if you you're a guitar, and he player, was just getting started, yeah. but ultimately persevered. But really, I impressed. 
for sure. Heavy shit, man. So he goes, so we're like on the symptom of the universe, which is probably one of the heaviest songs in the entire Sabbath catalog. I consider it kind of a proto thrash song because it's got that dun, 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 dun. You know, it's yeah, like, this it's, song is ridiculously heavy. Yeah. It's crazy like crazy heavy. It's like, um, you know, it's just that down picked chugging E string. And then it's got like the devil's interval. I was going to say, chords is that on what the they end. call the devil's interval? Yep. Dun, dun, yep. Dun, 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 so it's got dun, that. Dun, dun, that. So part. right there, it's all mapped out. That's like the rest of heavy metal music for the rest of time. And that riff alone, he basically just said, okay, here it is, young aspiring musicians. Every other heavy metal song is basically a it's, clone of symptoms yeah, of this song. Yeah, downpicked E note with a muted, couple muted down picking with couple power chords on the end with yep. a double a devil. Is he uh, playing power one. chords or is he playing bar chords? I think for that song it's power chords. I think, but you know, um, I'd have to look at some. Uh, yeah. I'd have to see him play it live to know for sure. I can't tell you. But I'm guessing power chords, but yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, so super heavy track. Just it's got the really cool kind of notey bit in the middle where Geezer's bass goes boom, 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 boom. And then Tony's just laying out that notey kind of descending pattern. Yep. And then at the end, it, it just it segues into like just some hippie shit at the end. And with the, it's got the, it's got the uh, acoustic guitars happening. It's kind of funky. So the song totally turns on its head to being like the heaviest thing ever at the time to segueing out of this guitar solo into like hippie, funky hippie music with like, you know, you know, uh, bongo percussion and stuff. And it's like, and then there's Ozzy just woman, child of love creation. <laughs> it's like, it's just hippie crap. And, but then, but Tony in that song just uncorks like this really rad solo. That's so, it's just got so much feel and so much kind of like bluesy swing to it. It's just a cool, they really changed some directions abruptly in these songs on the side. Yeah. And it's sure. just like, and that ending of that song is so opposite. Like the rest of the song, it's yeah. a jarring kind kind of sure. duality. Um, so the album marches on, you know, into megalomania, which is like this nine minute track. That's got, you know, super moody. It's almost like a precursor to like, you know, Metallica fade to black or something. It's got this like ballady arrangement, but then it ends heavy, like a fade to black yeah. or one or something that you've heard a million times where it's got the long kind of, you know, clean, moody parts, and then the whole last half of the track is just super heavy and riffing. Fade to Black? Do you think there's a connection? I, I have no idea. I think just structurally, I think probably, you know, it, it there's some influence there. You know, this idea that you can do ballady kind of songs that ends like, like with super heavy riffing, you know? Mm. So it's just a rad track, man. It's got some tri sure. trippy vocal stuff on it. Um, and then it goes into thrill of it all. And then the next, which another kind of rocker track, superstar or super czar. How would you say a super czar? Su I guess. Super czar, right? Yeah. So it's like got the, the, the vocal choir. So it's got like this church kind of vibes. It's heavy riff, but then it's got, yeah. you know, the choir thing happening, yeah. which Did, is super cool. You see this, the, here, read this. You ever read the story about Ozzy when they yeah, were recording he's, that? He's in the wrong studio. Yeah. So he's he's Kids in there. They were recording that, <laughs> yeah. and he thought that it was 
the the wrong studio, so he left. I don't think Ozzy <laughs> ever knows really where he's at. Well, that's so. a good point. When you when you do the fucking kilotons of coke that he did over his lifetime, <laughs> yeah. he probably doesn't know. So we're going into "Am I Going Insane" at this point, which is a song Ozzy wrote for you know he was already had his eyes on a solo career because Sabbath wasn't going well. This is this is the one that I feel like the chord progressions feels like an old Floyd song. It does, and it is psychedelic. Sounding. It sounds like an old, yeah. So you you get what yeah. I'm talking about? And, and it's a song that a lot of Sabbath fans hate. They actually put it on the Greatest Hits record, which came out after this one, We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll. It's yeah. the only song off this record that they put on their Greatest Hits record. If you think about it, well, it's that like... Well, their manager, their ex-manager, put right. on the Greatest Hits album and made all the money off of it. But if you think about it, you're like, why this track? Of all the tracks on this record, why would you put this track? on a greatest hits record but because it's the one that a lot of fans don't like i think it fits perfectly in the record and in terms in of the, sequencing oh, it sure just it works does. perfectly oh, in the context <clears throat> of the whole album it, it does fit because there's yep. other trippy shit in there too yeah it totally works and then of course the laughter at the end segues into kind of like the finale of the record the masterpiece of the record the writ oh the writ is fa- which fantastic is just ozzy's diatribe against the the record label and management and that's just it's just a really cool track. I love the I love the bass parts. I love the backwards um, symbols on it in the second verse. Um, Ozzy's vocals are just it's his best vocal performance in Sabbath is on this record. I mean, he's super high and his voice is just cutting and he never sounds this good again on a record i mean he he sounds good for you know he sounds good on never say die and technical ecstasy in the first couple ozzy albums in his solo career but as far as his time in sabbath this is the high watermark yeah and and to to add to that He the his the range he is singing so high in this album but it still sounds really good. Yeah. Like I th- <clears throat> I thought of um 80s Iron Maiden and there's some some times when Bruce Dickinson is singing real high too, but it doesn't it sounds a little it it sounds a little rough. Yeah. But dude, this shit is crystal, man, and yeah. he sounds so good at that high of a range. I was really impressed with that. And it's also, it's a rare instance where usually in Sabbath, Geezer Butler writes the lyrics and Ozzy just comes up with the melodies and whatnot. But this is a rare one where Ozzy actually sat down and penned the lyrics. So he, he, uh, he wrote, I can't remember now. He wrote sabotage or the writ. He wrote Sabotage. He wrote this this song, The Writ, the, he on, wrote on the Sabotage. Writ. Yeah. So he, I mean, he um, wrote the uh, lyrics. Um, Am I Going Insane, I think, is the one that was for the, uh, for the witch, McCallit, for his proposed solo album that never yeah. happened. So yeah. he, I thought, I couldn't remember if he wrote The Writ or if Geezer Butler wrote The Writ, but he did. Yeah. He, Ozzy wrote the lyrics yeah. for this okay. one, which is, which is an anomaly because he's not typically the Geezer lyric Butler writer. Geezer usually the, wrote the lyrics. Yeah. 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 Ozzy's, always, Ozzy's whole career, Rico, he's always had guys around him writing. Ozzy's like the Forrest Gump of of rock and roll. <laughs> he really, he really, he is. really is. Especially after the Osbournes, like that was on display for everybody. <laughs> but I mean, Ozzy's not—he's not a songwriter. No. He's not really a gifted singer. He's just a guy who who wrote all of his shit on the solo stuff in the eighties. 
Oh God, dude! Everybody wrote it, right? Yeah, everybody, everybody else. He surround. Yeah, he didn't write. He didn't write anything. His he always gets a writing credit on every song because that's where the money is, yeah. and his wife was the manager. So the the credits are always Ozzy, Brandy Rhodes, Bob Daisley. You know, but in the Ozzy solo era, Bob Daisley wrote music and lyrics. Randy Rhodes wrote music. Yeah, because fucking Sharon was going <clears> to <throat> send Guido and the boys after you yeah. if you didn't put him on yeah. the credits. Um, but yeah, but Ozzy always got a writing credit but never contributed anything. <laughs> so Ozzy's always, and Ozzy always got a writing credit. If you look at the old Sabbath credits, they're always Osborne, Iomi, Ward Butler. They always credit all four members when yeah. really Iomi is the main songwriter and, and Butler Butler's wrote the lyrics. The yeah, and the other guy's a drummer and the other guy's a singer who yeah. never writes words. Yeah. And so it's like Bill Ward with Bill Ward, right? Yeah. Bill Ward was busy drinking gallons of booze. Yeah, and, and wearing his wife's pantyhose. And wearing his wife's pantyhose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the red so, tights with Ozzy Osbourne's <laughs> underwear underneath, actually. Like, why don't you have pants? I don't understand that. I don't get it, but... Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Ozzy showed up in a kimono. Yeah. This was the photo shoot for the cover. Yeah, he but they didn't know it was going to be the photo shoot. Yeah, they thought they were just going to talk about it. So he shows up in a kimono, and Bill Ward shows up in his wife's tights because he his pants were dirty. <laughs> Like he's only got one pair of pants. And because he had his wife's tights on and he didn't own any underwear, <laughs> he always went without underwear. So he had to borrow Ozzy Osbourne's underwear oh, to wear underneath his wife's red tights. And then they wound up putting it on the cover of the album. Yeah. And, it's, and the underpants are visible. Yeah. It's all visible. Yeah. Uh, Fun. But it's Good a, times. it's a great record. It's a horrible album cover, but the album cover's grown on me. Check out Sabotage, and I am dying to hear you talk about this record because you're going to take me to school because I don't know anything about these guys. Oh, man, what a tease. Maybe we'll share that half with you at another time. Thanks for hanging in there with us. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. This has been Rock and Roll Autopsy. <clears throat> Let me have that special rock and roll music. Yeah! Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rock and roll autopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs>